Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and today we're going to do, since Rod was at the game, um, we didn't get the post game up right after. So we're going to go over the Michigan game um, for a little a little bit here and then get into Ohio State. Uh, Rod, Michigan won this one 87 to 70. Uh, you were there. <laughs> so what, what can you tell us about that experience, I guess, first of all? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. Yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, the thing was, um, I don't know how it came across on TV. Obviously they, they got what passes for loud at Chrysler because, um, you know, they had momentum for pretty much what 35 minutes of that game. Yeah. Uh, but that was an environment where if Michigan state had done anything, and I mean anything uh, that the, the atmosphere was there for the taking. There was a very strong Michigan State turnout, I would say, you know, especially considering Michigan State's not having a year where, you know, I mean, if that had happened in 2019 or 2020 or, or 18, when when Michigan State had, you know, national championship thoughts, uh, you would understand it, you know, but. Uh, it was a combination of things. Michigan is on spring break, so their student section was significantly reduced. In fact, I don't. Again, I don't know if television captured it, but in the upper deck, there's a section in, around the court that's dedicated to the maze rage, and then there's a section in the upper deck behind one of the baskets. Uh, that, and I'm talking about like four or five sections, was completely empty. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, no one sitting there. I would say maybe, even if you took that away, maybe 75% of the seats were filled. And there were a lot of Michigan State people there. I would, Hmm. it is a ballpark, but I would guess 20% of the crowd was MSU. Which is, again, pretty good considering. I could hear that, it. I could hear it on the TV. Yeah, well, it wasn't quite as like lopsided as I've seen some Northwestern games, but you could definitely tell there was a lot of sure, people there. Sure, and there have been games in the past, and it's been a while since it's happened. You really got to go back to the, you know, Ellerby and Amaker eras, or maybe very early Beeline. But the, you know, there have been nights where Michigan State really did take that building over. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. But it was, you know, the, the the only reason I'm I'm mentioning this is the the situation was there. Um, if Michigan State had gotten off to a strong start and maintained it, that home court advantage could have largely been taken away. Mm. You know, it was there, but that didn't happen. Of course, I, I I think that you know what you can reduce it to in in large part are just a handful of things. I think that it was, and this is a season where Michigan State's defensive effectiveness has been on more of a roller coaster than I can ever recall it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been the occasional years, not a lot of them, but the occasional years where Michigan State defense was not up to its usual level, but that stayed fairly consistent. This team has played excellent defense a lot including as recently as Saturday mm-hmm. against Purdue. We talked about just the fantastic job they did in executing that game plan and limiting Purdue's perimeter game, just completely eliminating it, you know? And then they turn around and play perhaps the worst defensive game of the season. I think what hurt, and people are going to focus on the damage that Dickinson did, and I understand it. He had whatever, he had 32. Yeah. But I don't think that was the key. 
Poof. I, I mean, think... Terrence Williams, three for four. If I had to guess, yes, there you go. You're getting you're getting to it. And and the the worst part of that is Michigan State made guys like Terrence Williams and Brandon Johns good shooters by leaving them wide mm-hmm. open. Yeah. But you can't even say they got wide open because Michigan State was digging down on the post or doubling Dickinson, and then they made them. It, it was they were guarding them straight up, and they just lost those guys. So it was that in the first half, and then also in the first half, just the complete inability to contain dribble penetration. I don't yeah. ever recall a game where an opponent had more easy parade lines going down the lane to the rim than I saw in that first half. So the problem was you hit halftime, you're down 16. And the, uh, my, my friend that I was at the game with said to me during halftime, is there any, you think there's any shot at a comeback? And I said, I don't think so. And the reason I didn't think so is I felt Michigan had enough of a working advantage now that in Dickinson, and I don't recall the point split, but I don't think Dickinson went crazy in the first half. I think he had maybe eight or ten, isn't that right? Yeah, he, most of his damage was in the second half, yeah. and that's what I was saying. I said the problem MSU has is if Michigan misses a few shots and if MSU hits some and gets some momentum and whittles it down, gets it into single digits, let's say, mm-hmm. all Michigan has to do is then start feeding the ball to Dickinson. And, you know, it's at the start of a game when you're even and if you're able to maintain it as even or you get a working margin the way Michigan State did in the first game, you're okay playing Dickinson straight up because you figure, okay, Michigan's at best getting two points in a possession. Mm -hmm. He's probably not going to hit every shot and he's going to get tired. But when they've got that large a working margin, it is the basketball equivalent in my mind of a good running game when you're trying to just close a game out and you can just, your enemy is the clock as much as it is the opponent. Right. Mm -hmm. And you just keep pounding out first downs and keeping the clock running. Well, a post game on offense like Michigan has with Dickinson is not too far from that. When you've got that kind of working margin, Mm -hmm. because then you don't care so much if, okay, we might trade some twos for threes, but we've got a 16-point lead. We could do that three or four times, and, and they haven't chipped that much off our margin. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I just didn't see it. I didn't see how, they, you know, barring a miracle, they were going to be able to come back. And sure enough, that's how it worked. Michigan went into him relentlessly in the second half. He was very effective. And Michigan State had some moments where it felt like they got a little momentum and started to make a little bit of run, got it down to, and they might've even gotten it down as close as 10 at one point in the second half, but they just could never get over that hump because Michigan always had Dickinson to go back to. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is the offensive end. This was for me, the peak of my frustration with Tyson Walker. Mm-hmm. Tyson Walker's stat line was not horrible in that game. He had 11 points, four assists, zero turnovers, and I think he had a steal. Not spectacular, but it's not like, oh, my God, what a train wreck. That was the worst such game I think I've ever seen. And the reason I say that is he must have turned down double-digit open looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was maddening. It wasn't just me. It was all the other Michigan State people in our section especially in the second half when frustration really started to boil over, screaming at shoot him, the shoot, damn ball. shoot, shoot, <laughs> pull it, nothing. He just, I don't know. They are going to have a psychological job that they need to do this offseason on Tyson Walker. and get, Unless, the, for some reason, the coaching staff doesn't believe him to be capable of doing more, which I, I can't believe. Because if I can see it, Jesus Christ, Tom Izzo's got to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to get a mentality overhaul. There's no doubt about it. And it just absolutely killed them in this game. It killed them. Yeah, there were other problems. It wasn't his and his burden alone, but that was the biggest thing, precisely because exactly as I expected, and it didn't take a genius to see it coming, he was going to have looks available because Michigan has physical limitations in terms of how they can defend. Dickinson has to sag. And if he sags, 
shots are going to be there if you're setting decent picks. And they were setting picks that were good enough. But if you don't pull the trigger, the whole thing bogs down. And then you end up, the, the other thing that was frustrating, you know, compounded the frustration was those shots would be passed up and inevitably Michigan State would find itself in a position where they would end up forcing mm-hmm. contested twos. That happened a lot. Um, I think that those were the two the two things that stood out to me in this game. You know, it wasn't a game where you could say Michigan State was just hemorrhaging turnovers. They didn't get killed on the glass, but it was as simple as that. It was the it was the way that they defended, especially in the first half, and then the second half, Michigan just took advantage of a physical mismatch. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't much you could do about it at that point. And then the way Michigan State approached things offensively throughout the whole game were just terrible. And that was that, that's how you get a 17-point loss, when you do things exactly counter to what you needed to do to win this game and counter to what you did in the first game against mm-hmm. them and counter to what you did against Purdue just three days before. The dri- It was almost like the exact opposite game with the dribble penetration. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, oh, the- you mean with Michigan doing it instead of Michigan yeah. State? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. You're right. And no excuse for it. Michigan wasn't doing anything spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and they don't, and they don't have great pen. They don't have guys who are naturally gifted penetrators either, you know, and, and yet it was just disgraceful. The only, the only two guys I think that can feel good about themselves coming out of that game are, you know, maybe Jaden Akins, mm-hmm. because Jaden Akins at least showed himself willing to be aggressive and was rewarded for it. Hit a couple threes yeah. on individual plays. And and Mati Sissoko. Mati Sissoko really competed his ass off yeah. when he was out there. Nine points, and, three and rebounds. I think that's a maybe he a was, career high. He was on the verge of the first double-digit game of his career. And, you know, but the thing is, you can't go too far with it because uh, Mati still, at this point, is nowhere near ready to play defensively the way MSU needs somebody to play at that position. I, I give yeah. him great credit for how hard he played and he hit some shots, which is good to see, but no, it's like, not like you say, well, now he's, now he's figured it out. So he's our answer at the five. No, 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 no. There's like four fouls in 12 minutes too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, that was the other thing too. You were in the second half. You're at the point where you're just like, Look, if Dickinson catches the ball within five feet of the basket, foul him. Mm-hmm. You have to because and the problem is that Dickinson is a decent foul shooter. He's better than some of these other guys like Coburn and Edie. Mm-hmm. So it's hard even to win that war of attrition with him by just fouling him and taking your chances at the line. But, yeah, I was okay with that, with Marty fouling him. What the, yeah. the hell else is he going to do? <laughs> yeah. So – yeah, but those were the only two guys that I looked at and said, okay, those two guys can feel good about the way they play. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. The one thing that sticks out in this lineup to me is, is Bingham. Um, eight points, or eight, I'm sorry, eight minutes. Um, is this, are we like officially concerned, like extremely concerned about this? I mean, well, I'm, eight I mean, minutes, long, two points, two rebounds? Past. We're long past that. I think. I think where we've settled into, unfortunately, is that the Marcus Bainham, who was extremely consistent in November and December, that we raved about, that game in, game mm-hmm. out, was changing games defensively, was doing a, the best job of his career as a rebounder, gave MSU decent point production, that's gone. Mm-hmm. And what we are back to now is a Marcus Bainham that is – uh, a total unknown coming into any game. Now he's fully capable. If you if you were to tell me right now he goes into Columbus and has you know twelve and eight blocks four shots, would I be shocked? No. Mm-hmm. He's capable of having good games. I thought he was good in limited minutes against Purdue. He didn't score the points that Marble did, but you know he blocked some shots. He, he did some positive things in that game. Mm-hmm. Um but you just can't count on them anymore. The first two months of the season, you were getting to a point where you felt like you could count on them. Mm-hmm. And he was, and he was the key to Michigan state being a very good defensive team. It is not a surprise 
that Michigan State's defensive consistency has slid as Marcus Bainham's consistency has slid because he was the linchpin mm-hmm. in my in my mind. He was the guy. They've got some good defenders. You know, their wings are pretty good defenders. Their point guards are pretty good defenders overall. But if your interior guys, if your fours and fives can't guard, especially your fives, you're going to have problems. And he just has not been the same guy Yeah. in January in Big Ten play. Just hasn't been. So, yeah, I mean, concern. yeah, we're, we're long past concerned. I mean, you just don't know what's going to show up, yeah. you know. And, and with Marble, you know, look, this is a tall order playing these guys game after game after game where you're going up against all this size. And he's played for the most part in the last two, three weeks. I think Julius Marble has shown enough. Gee, I was having this discussion on the Spartan mag board today. I think he's shown just enough that you don't write off the possibility that he could have another step to take, maybe Mm -hmm. find better consistency defensively. I think he has gotten better as a rebounder over that time. And obviously he's always been able to score, but you know, last night he was, that that was not a great game. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, and then you got Sissoko. So I, you know, you, you don't really have a choice. You roll these guys out and you hope that you get the right night. Yeah. Uh, and we won't go crazy with all the players and everything, but just, I guess, touch on Pierre Brooks, eight minutes, uh, in this one, two points. Do you see anything yeah. out of him? No, no. I mean, other than the fact that he, he plays with an aggressiveness that some of his elders could use. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre never looks afraid of the moment. Doesn't always make the right play at this stage, but no, I didn't see anything. The, the freshman that, you know, Max Christie at least tried to be aggressive, but as a result, he forced a lot. Yeah. I don't put a ton on him because it was a situation where somebody had to. Uh, and I'm glad at least he had the mentality to try, but it was not a great game from him. The only freshman who really stood out to me was Akins. Mm-hmm. He was the one guy who did some positive things. And I think, again, one of two guys on the whole team who don't have a reason to feel pretty badly about how they played. Yeah. Uh, so the keys in this one, uh, you talked about it a little bit. So it's uh, playing Dickinson straight up. Yeah, it's it didn't it didn't work because they 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 tried to do exactly what I talked about, but they didn't contain those other guys. Those other guys went hog wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, ter- you know the way the only way that Terrence Williams and Brandon Johns hurt you like that from three is if you don't guard them. Yeah, they didn't guard them. And it wasn't even for a good reason. It wasn't even like the deal with Grandison against Illinois where he said, well, Michigan State for some reason decided they would help off Grandison and throw the four-man trying to you know, double down on Coburn in the post. It wasn't even that. They just didn't guard anybody. Mm-hmm. So that consequently, as I, I walked you through, blew the whole thing to smithereens because in the second half, Michigan's in a situation where they're up by so much that they can play. They could say, okay, we'll play the two for three game. Mm-hmm. And they did. Uh, and then you got the pick and roll was the second. Uh, it, I was talking about the offense again. We've already hit on it. Um, you know, AJ Hogart, I gather was sick. And so was played some minutes. Is that correct? Is that what they were talking about on the broadcast that he was ill? That's why he didn't play in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wasn't very effective in the first half anyway. And, and really it was going to come down to Tyson Walker regardless. And that was a complete failure. Again, I don't think I'm exaggerating double digit shot opportunities that were not taken. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting contagious. Then you had other guys who didn't pull the trigger when they had shot windows. Well, and there was no rolling. They got nothing on the roll. No, no pick and pop. Very little. There was, there was one occasion with Bainham where he missed, yeah. but it was the right shot. Hauser might have had one, one or two. But yeah, they, they just – they did not – you know, if you go back to that game at Breslin, Michigan State absolutely punished Hunter Dickinson, just punished him mm-hmm. for his inadequacies as a defender. This game, nothing. Terrible. Wasted opportunity. Uh, Tyson the- Walker could have had 30 in this game, no question. Yeah. No question. Uh, boards. 
They were okay. They, yeah, they didn't get hammered like they have in some outings, but no. But it it, it was so far past mattering. <laughs> right. It's hard to get too excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and then wings was the fourth key. Yeah, I mean it was yeah. it was funny because they were I think they were one Max Christie point away from both of those guys in double digits, and yet MSU not only didn't win but got buried. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, almost in a way, thankfully Max didn't hit double digits because it would have blown that to smithereens. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know. I mean, their minutes got brought down a little bit. Gabe was only at 23. Christie was at 31, um, well, I, which I is think, still high, but he's been at 35 sometimes. Yeah, and Max had to play some uh, point guard in the second half, you notice, with Hogard's yeah. absence. And it was funny, you know, watching the game and not being privy to what was going on, my assumption was that Izzo just decided AJ, AJ doesn't have it tonight, and that was a strategic decision to go with the Max Christie on. They actually... For a while, that lineup generated something offensively mm-hmm. in the second half when they went to it. Um, I, my my issues with Max and Gabe primarily had to do with the defensive end. I didn't think anybody from Michigan State was any good on defense, those guys included. Mm-hmm. Offensively, you know, eh. as I said, Max wasn't great. He was forcing some things, but at least he was aggressive. Gabe hit some shots, but wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't at his best. So, and and then the defensive end where MSU really needs those guys to be good. They were MIA along with everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and then energy. Let's forget about it. Yeah. I mean, they just, I mean, actually you know, the very, got... the first five minutes was pretty good. They yeah, looked like they were, they were in it. And it then as soon as they got down, they just seemed like they deflated. Yep. I'll tell you where the where the game turned, and it's not like oh this was the cataclysm moment, or but the moment it turned, Michigan State hit a Joey Hauser three to go up eleven to nine, and Michigan comes down, and Gabe Brown comes out wildly contesting Caleb Houston and fouls him on a three point attempt. That's right, yeah. And Houston goes to the line, hits all three. Michigan's up 12-11. They never look back. Mm-hmm. They were down. They were down 11-9, and I believe I have this right. They scored the next. They went on a 14-0 run and never looked back. Yeah. 11. And it was that play. That play was the one that started it. Now, look, the way this thing unfolded, I'm not saying, oh, but for Gabe following him, it's a different game. If it wasn't that play it would have been something else. It was clearly going to be that kind of night. But uh, that was the one, in fact, that started it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was Gabe fouling the three-point shooter. Yep. Then Dickinson comes down, gets a, a layup. Eli Brooks gets a layup. Yeah, just the, the the defensive roof caved in, and Michigan State started struggling to score. They got a, in that sequence to get to 11. They were actually scoring well. Mm-hmm. But it just stopped. It stopped primarily because uh, Michigan State did not take advantage of Michigan's defensive deficiencies yeah. at all. And that goes back to Tyson. Well, I mean, any, anything else uh, on this one? Disappointing, it, <laughs> for huge, sure. Huge, hugely. And the, and the biggest disappointment is you look at that game, and for me, one of the bigger takeaways from it is that's, that's Michigan you're playing. You should never, ever, ever come out of that game and be talking about, oh, we came out flat. We didn't play hard. We didn't play with energy. As I I saw today, reading some of the coverage, some of Michigan State, you know, Gabe Brown made a comment to that effect, Tyson Walker. That that should never happen. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse for it. And, And that's the kind of stuff that does lead me to go down the road of, of thinking, you know, a roster, and there are going to be changes regardless, that's a fact, but maybe they need more overhaul mm-hmm. than that. And that's e- far easier said than done. But I, part of me looks at this and thinks, okay, who on this team do you identify as having the mindset that would never 
that would never come out of a Michigan Michigan State game saying those things at least. They might lose, but they're not going to be saying these, oh, we didn't play hard, we didn't have energy, which is just bullshit. It's unacceptable mm. to me. Um, the guys I think you would identify are the younger guys. It's freshmen and sophomores. Where the problems exist are in your junior and senior class. Mm-hmm. That primarily, those are your guys who are supposed to be your leaders, and those are the guys who are most suspect in these ways. It's, you know, Marcus Bingham, Gabe Brown, um, you know, uh, Malik Hall, who just is as up and down in that area as anybody, and I don't understand it, you know. I'm not as down on Hauser because I think Hauser is actually kind of settled into who he is going to be mm-hmm. for Michigan State. I, I don't think he was massively different yesterday in that regard. He's, yeah. But these other guys are the guys, you know, the co-captains are the guys you're counting on to lead you and to provide that energy. And at times they have this year, but they sure as hell didn't last night. So that to me says, you know, you get back to this discussion, which had started up again this week because we're getting to the end of the season and senior day. Michigan State has three guys, at least, who theoretically have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham, Joey Hauser. They could all return. If they chose to, they could all leave. And that's on top of, you know, other guys who might, for whatever reason, decide to transfer out. Um, and Izzo has said it's unclear as to what's going to happen. He's not figuring they're all going to come back, but he doesn't know yet. There, there is part of me that looks at it and says, you know, obviously all three of those guys have certain things that they do well that you would like, you know, you, you could look at you. There's a world where you could look at it and say, boy, I'd like a chance for one more year to untap Marcus Bingham and see if he can get more consistency out of him, right? Mm-hmm. But there's another world where you say he's had four years, enough's enough. Better off clear in the roster spot, clear in those minutes and trying with somebody else. I mean, I, I hate saying that because the, the thing that seems obvious and Izzo has reiterated it time and time again, is this is a team of good kids. Mm-hmm. They don't have any problem guys. They don't have anybody who's hard to root for any of those kind of things, but they're not as a group. This is not what we've come to expect of Michigan state in terms of those staple character traits, Mm -hmm. the toughness, the heart, the energy, you know, the want to, it's not, it's not there the way it normally is, or it's, it's not there consistently the way it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when you're a guy who's been in the program three, four years, I don't know how confident you can feel about it changing at that point with a freshman, at least, you know, Max Christie, one thing that is positive about him again last night is he was trying mm-hmm. to make things happen. Yeah. So you say, okay, that's something you can build on. And he obviously has a lot of talent. So you, I'm not dismissive of him at all. But when it's a senior, eh, what are you really going to change that at this stage? They've been in the program long enough. They've been on teams that went to Final Fours that won Big Ten championships, so they know what it takes. They've lived it. Mm-hmm. But if they're not able to carry that themselves where they have to be the leaders, then maybe they just don't have it in them. Yeah. You know? So I don't know how I feel about it. And it remains, you know, it's an open question with all those guys as to what happens ultimately. But I don't know. We're going to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah that's gonna be interesting because we saw kind of what happened last year. Michigan State's not typically a program where you're gonna look at and say three four guys are leaving, but with the but new this transfer is a little rules, different. it's <laughs> this is a little different though because it's not it's not necessarily and and here's right. the thing I would be surprised I guess you'd never say shocked I would be surprised at this point if any of those three guys went into the portal. But they could, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't expect that at this point. I think with them, it's a question of do they decide that they want to try doing something else? They want to try playing professionally overseas or in the G League. Or, you know, if they get if they get those opportunities, and I wouldn't be, I would expect that they would get opportunities professionally somewhere. They're not going to just not be able to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Both, you know, G- Gabe and and uh, uh, Marcus and even Joey have all shown enough that they would absolutely be able to play for pay somewhere. Uh-huh. But, um, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where their heads are at. You know, earlier this season, like in November and December, it was very easy to say, hey, you know, figure that Marcus and Gabe are done because they're playing well. And, you know, they'll probably at least get NBA training camp opportunities Mm -hmm. and then, you know, see what happens. You know, it was a different scenario. They both had enough problems that, you know, I don't know where it'll land for them professionally, but, um, you know, it so much depends on where their heads are at and where is those head is at. I'll say this, you know, one thing I've thought about increasingly as Michigan State's rebounding problems. And that's got to have, have continued. And that's got to be the thing that I, I have to believe eats it as, as much as anything, mm-hmm. is that they have been such a bad rebounding team. I can't believe that he will accept that. I can't believe it just, it would fly in the face of everything I think I know about how the guy operates. So what do you have coming in? Okay, well, you Jackson Kohler has been a pretty good rebounder at his level, but we, that's an unknown yet mm-hmm. in terms of how much he's going to be able to contribute as a freshman. I think he's got a chance to be really, really good, but we don't know yet on the defensive end. And although I think he'll be a good rebounder, we've got to see it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, scoring is one thing I don't worry about with him, but you don't know how much he'll play. Even if Bainham were to leave, let's say this is a scenario I've thought about maybe Bainham and, and, Brown leave, but Joey Hauser comes back for another year. And that would not totally shock me if that were the way it played out. So you still have Hauser and Hall as your fours. That means Kohler's definitely playing a five, which is where I think he's going to end up anyway, because I, I, I can't imagine him being, I have questions about how he'll be able to defend at the five. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I can't even fathom the questions you would have him defending at the four as a freshman, right? So if he's a five and then you've got marble and Sissoko back, mm-hmm. you really can't add anybody. You can't have six, even though you've got a roster spot, theoretically, you do have a roster spot available. Um, you can't really go into the portal and add somebody. You got too many bodies. Mm-hmm. They need to add somebody in my mind. They need to add somebody. They need to find someone I don't think they need to find a guy who's a a 20-point-a-night scorer, but they need to find somebody who can guard, especially in pick and roll, um, who can rebound, and who will provide a physical presence. That's where it starts. And I've got to believe Izzo is thinking that way, but it's what happens with your roster. Does that mean one of Marble and Sissoko have to go? I don't know. There's going to be a lot of things to sort out. Once we get there, I just, I know this much. If the way Michigan state comes back at the five is Kohler, marble and Sissoko, you are taking a big risk, mm-hmm. a big risk. And I just, I can't imagine as though, you know, in the, however much longer he decides to coach, it's fair to say in the twilight of his career, I, I can't imagine he wants to go that way, mm-hmm. but that's it a freshman who you got defensive questions about and two guys who haven't proven that they're necessarily a big part of the answer. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. It's going to be yeah. interesting. Uh, and what happens if Bainham says he wants to come back? Do you let him? <laughs> I, I, it's a, it's a legitimate question, right? Mm-hmm. Are you, do you feel good about saying, let's give it one more spin around the dial with Marcus and hope that we can get that November and December play extended over the course of a whole year? Or do you say, hey, thanks for your service. We're better off if you know you go do something else and we'll do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's going to take – you really can't answer until the end of the year. I mean, it, if he goes on a but five or six-game run – you know, maybe well, they get to the Sweet Sixteen or something. Or, or, yeah, you would, you would certainly, you would feel better, right? You mm-hmm. would. But has he proven it? If if they did that, and he says, "I want to come back," well, we know that you know public feeling would be, "Yeah, he's finally figured it out." 
But has he has he shown that? Mm-hmm. I think the only way you'd feel good about that is if he had maintained that consistency. Yeah. And he has not done that. So to me, a two-week run of really great Marcus Bingham play does not change this equation. It will remain a question mark. Yeah. I mean, it just will because yeah. he hasn't proven it. Now, you know, somebody made a good point today. They said, look, the Big Ten is probably going to look very different next year at that position, and that's true. Coburn has to be going pro. I would think Trevion Williams is going to move on for Purdue. Maybe Edie returns. He'd be the one guy. I got to believe Dickinson goes. What's the point in him hanging around again? I I don't know for sure, but I would tend to think Diabate goes pro. Um, You would think that EJ Liddell is gone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it will be a little different in terms of, some of the quality at that position, but the challenges are still there. You can't win in major college basketball anymore without a five that can do some pretty standard things. Defense pick and roll well and rebounds and and gives you a, a rim protection element. It's hard to win if you don't have those things. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of how many behemoths there are running around. <laughs> yeah. Uh so OSU, Rod, um, coming off 18 and 9, 11 and 7, um, consecutive losses, though, to both Maryland yeah. and then Nebraska. Is any, are you, and I'm sure some of our listeners are, are you familiar with a meme that you see circulate all the time, which has two Spider Men oh, yeah, pointing, pointing at each yeah. other? <laughs> That's this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's that's exactly it. Um, so they didn't have Dead Key, but um, still, well, to lose to Nebraska at yeah. home, yeah. Well, they didn't have Zed Key, and and he's got an ankle issue, and I think from what I read, it seems unlikely he's going to play. Mm-hmm. They started Kyle Young in his place, which is a pretty good option to have. Kyle Young's been around the block, and he's a good player. Uh, he got sick and it was exactly the same situation as with Hogarth last night where he played eight like about eight minutes in the first half and then did not return. So his status is up in the air. I've, I've prepared for this, assuming that he plays and starts, mm. whereas I've, I've assumed that key does not play. Um, yeah. but we'll see, but that's a big, if you have both those guys out of action, that takes what's been a strength for Ohio state their interior play and their interior depth and really makes it kind of a one man band with EJ Liddell. That's a pretty good player to have as your one guy, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder for Ohio state at that point. Yeah. Uh, 26 overall in Ken Palm, um, 12th in offense, 118th in defense. Second year running that it's been like this, you know, last year it was the same story and it's hard. It's it's very similar to the deal at Purdue. They're just not as good offensively as Purdue. Mm-hmm. You know, they're good, but they're not number one in the country. That's the difference between those two teams. Uh, but this is the second year running that it's been like this for, for Chris Holtman. And Chris Holtman was a guy whose reputation at Butler, was, as pretty much every guy who's coached at Butler and, and succeeded has been, that they were pretty good defensive teams. And then his first few teams at Ohio state were not, I don't know if they were ever elite defensively, but they, it wasn't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happened. And it's got a lot to do with why Ohio state has been, uh, I would say somewhat of an underachiever the last two or three years mm-hmm. is they have not been able to defend the way you expect. I mean, I think back to the Thad Mata teams that were, you know, mostly star laden. I mean, he recruited at a very high level, always had a good deal of talent there, but man, those teams, you think about all those just classic Michigan state, Ohio state games during that era. Those were usually marked by just blood and guts defensive wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, both teams had, had so much talent that, of course, they could still score at a decent rate. But it was about, ultimately, usually, who 
who could get more stops. And, and that was what Ohio State basketball was. It was a program in a lot of ways mirrored Michigan State um, in terms of its ethos, you know. Mm-hmm. Not the case. This, these last two years, I don't know what's going on at Ohio State because it's not an Ohio State team that I recognize, and it's not what Chris Holtman's career has been based on. So I don't have the answer as to why, but it's happening, that's for sure. And, and, and there's really – it's like – it's like he'd stopped recruiting for two years. I mean, you've got a couple super seniors, a, a senior transfer, a, a couple senior transfers, um, and then just Liddell, Young, both seniors. But there's like hardly any – I don't think there's a single junior on this team. There's only a couple sophomores and a freshman, two freshmen. Well, it just doesn't seem like there's – Yeah. Like there's they, this drop-off. Holtman has not – now, you know, this is you got to be careful with this because the perception has been recruiting has definitely taken a step down since Mata. Mm-hmm. He has not recruited the way Mata has. And that's fair. Absolutely, that's fair. But he still, Liddell is a junior who's a star in that class. Malachi Branham has improved enough during the course of this season in their current freshman class that he's a star. In fact, he's so good, I think he's probably likely to go pro. So they're probably only going to get one year out of them, which is unfortunate for them. Um, but around that, yeah, it's a lot of misses, and they've, they've tried to fill in with transfers to with varying degrees of success. Now, one of the things that's happened, which is fair to mention this year, is you remember uh, Justice Suing, who was really yeah. good for them last year after transferring in from Cal. He's been he's played two games this year. He's been out basically the whole year. Seth Towns, who transferred in from Harvard after he had been a two-time Ivy League Player of the Year, he hasn't ever been able to get over the injury hump. He, mm-hmm. he kind of got over it a little bit last year and helped him down the stretch, but this year he hasn't played at all. That, that was two guys that went down. Uh, they've tried to plug their hole at the point with transfers to varying degrees of success. They have Jamari Wheeler there. Um, they have a guy, Jimmy Sotos, who's a backup who doesn't play very much. Mm-hmm. They had um, a kid from Indianapolis uh, last uh, two years prior, C.J. Um, C.J. Walker. C.J. Walker, yeah. Again, a transfer. So it's it has been weird. You know, that's a the, the funny thing about it is Ohio State is maybe slightly under the radar a potentially great job because it's a state that traditionally, although maybe a little less than the last few years, but traditionally produces a lot of talent and you are the dominant player in state. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Cincinnati can occasionally steal a guy here or there, but you know, and you've got to deal with the other big 10 schools. Michigan state's always done well in Ohio, you know, so there's, there's competition, but if you are, you know, Fad Mata, really, really did a great job recruiting that state. And if you do that, if you get the majority of the guys you want in state, that's going to set you up. And mm-hmm. then Ohio State's a big enough name that they can go into places like Indiana and Illinois and Michigan and occasionally get guys too. You don't have to leave. In fact, there's an argument that when where things went wrong at the end for Mata, was when he started getting out of that Midwestern-centric recruiting. Mm-hmm. In his last few classes, he started to take more chances with guys from out of the region who were highly rated but just didn't pan out, and this, the whole thing kind of collapsed. Although there were other things. His health was really the main driver of all that. But um, anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a job. You know, the resources are great. It's a good spot for a coach in that you have – fan support but it's not crazy because they really care about football mm-hmm. you know so you're and that's the thing if holtman was doing what he's done at a place like kentucky or carolina i think he actually might be feeling a little heat he's not doesn't seem to be feeling heat at ohio state because they've been okay mm-hmm. but just okay yeah uh so on offense, 36.9% from three, 40th uh, in the country from two. Yeah, um, so good shooting team. Yeah, 75% from the line. 
Offensive yep. rebounding's not so great. 132 in offensive rebounding, number 62 in turnovers. Yeah, um, it's a you know it's the, the the picture is of a good offensive team. They shoot the ball very well from three, from two, and at the line. Mm-hmm. So they do all that. Um, they don't turn it over a ton. They're okay there. Not a great offensive rebounding team, but they're you know okay. Uh, not a lot of real weaknesses that stand out. They get to the line decently. They're in the top 100 in free throw attempts divided by field goal attempts. So they actually do a decent job making good on how well they shoot free throws. You know, a guy like Liddell and, and guys like Liddell and Branham can draw a lot of contact. Um, so yeah, it's a good offensive team. There's, there's not yeah. much doubt about that. And what's interesting about it is it's a good offensive team without a great point guard. I think Wheeler has been solid, but he's been far from spectacular. Mm-hmm. And yet their offense keeps clicking primarily because they've got two great individual players and then some other guys around them who all do their parts. You know, Zed Key, when he plays, is a good low post player. Kyle Young manages to, you know, throw his body around and hustle his way into some point production. You know, some of their guards aren't um, – aren't high volume guys, but they can, you know, Wheeler's a good example of that. Yeah. He can make shots. He just doesn't take a lot of them, you know? So it's a, it's a good offensive team. Yeah. Uh, this, the picture on defense is, is a little different. 118. Uh, and what's weird about it is they're really good against twos. Number 38. Yeah. Yeah. But it's they're hard just terrible against threes and, and terrible on the boards. Yep. Terrible against threes sub 200 team in defensive rebounding, which is awful, makes Michigan state look good by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't great at about avoiding fouls. I mean, they're not just constantly having a parade of foul shots against them, but it's not like they really limit free throws against the way some other teams in the league do. Yeah. So yeah, it's the one thing that you usually look at as the linchpin of a good defense. They're actually okay. Good rim protecting team, decent overall, pretty good mm-hmm. actually against twos, but everything else in the profile is bad. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're decent at rim protection, 33 in blocks. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that, that's young. part of the two point equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the starters, Jamar Wheeler, six foot transfer, uh, super senior from Penn state, um, seven points a game, 47, 39 and 87. It's nothing changes, man. He's his last two or three years at Penn State. That was exactly the profile. And, it, and now, watching the you know, going through the Tyson Walker experience, I have a real appreciation for what Penn State and now Ohio State fans must have felt watching Wheeler. Which is, you look at these numbers and the what it says to you, I think, is why doesn't this guy shoot more? Mm-hmm. But he's never been a volume shooter. You know, he's a, he leads a team in assists. He's slightly over a two-to-one ratio. Um, he leads them in steals. He's been a pretty good defensive player and a part of some pretty good defensive teams at Penn State. Um, I still think he is a guy who is an individual defender, can come up with a steal and, and can do some things there. But the hole is so bad at Ohio State that it's not mattering very much. Mm-hmm. So he's... I would say Jamari Wheeler's been okay. If they didn't have him, they'd have a real problem. Mm-hmm. So it was a good thing they, they went out and got him because at least he's been good enough at that position to keep the offense on track. But if this team, you know, it's been a long time, man. I'm trying to think. The last time Ohio State had a really, really good point guard. I mean, yeah. Almost go, Shannon, to go back to Conley or something. <laughs> well, Shannon Scott, no, like Kraft and Scott were pretty good players. Mm-hmm. That's probably so. You're talking. It's been a while. I mean, they went through those years where they were trying Jaquan Lyle at it. You know, at the end of um, at the end of uh, Mata's regime, and that wasn't working. And they just they have not been able to solve it. So, you know, C.J. Walker was okay. Mm-hmm but not great. I mean, they just, it's been a bugaboo for them. And I think, you know, Wheeler's been acceptable, but not the level of guy that would really take this team to another level. Mm. That's what they miss. 
Uh, and then Eugene Brown, 6'4", sophomore. He's been starting recently, but only 3.4 points a game, 44, 26, and 65 from the floor. Yeah, I, that that's obviously they've they've uh, they've tried some different things. You know, Justin Arns started most of the year, but he's had a rough year, mm-hmm. and I think that's just kind of in desperation that they've turned to Brown, who was not playing huge minutes. He was in the rotation, but was not playing huge minutes. But I think they've just figured out, you know, we got to try something to shake this up, mm-hmm. and so that's what they've done to. But it hasn't produced results in terms of wins yeah you know they've lost three of their last five and two of those were at home <laughs> uh and then malachi brandham six five freshman um who's really exploded the last month or so 12.6 points a game 49 from the floor 44 from three 85 from the line and he grabs 3.7 rebounds yeah he's he's elevated his game to the point that i think he's gonna win you know right up until maybe the beginning of february it was a pretty wide open race for Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Mm-hmm. Max Christie was definitely in it. Might have even been the favorite slightly at that point. Uh, Bryce McGowan's at Nebraska had some numbers, but not a lot of efficiency and a really bad team. You know, Caleb Houston was still trying to find himself, and Branham was kind of lurking back there. But Branham has just exploded this month, and for about the last four weeks, he's been dynamite as an offensive player. I mean, he is a very difficult cover. You, you mentioned the shooting numbers. They're great. He's athletic. He's explosive. Tough cover. Yeah. Uh, and then EJ Liddell having a great year. 19.3 points a, a game, 7.5 rebounds, and 2.5 and blocks. 50% from the floor, 38 from 3, and 75 from the line. Yeah. Th- there were some people that were starting to talk about Liddell as a uh, as maybe the favorite in conference player of the year race maybe two three weeks ago i suspect that's over mm-hmm. because the team has slid and that usually when you've got and and let's think about it you've got two other prime contenders johnny davis at wisconsin who essentially won the league last night and um and uh kofi colburn in illinois is probably going to finish second yeah. Um, his team that is when those two guys are your prime competition along with Keegan Murray at Iowa but I think those two guys are the prime competition the fact that OSU as a team is slid hurts Liddell in my opinion and may or may not be fair but that's how it goes mm-hmm. uh, regardless he's had a great year you know EJ Liddell has improved every year he's been there I think this year he's been more of a rim protector um He's continued to show the progress he showed last year as a, as a three-point shooter. So he's had more versatility. I think he's just, again, he's a really tough cover because he legitimately can back you down in the post one moment, go out and stick a 22-footer on you the next, mm-hmm. and block your shot in between. Um, just a good player. Maybe one knock, maybe not as good a rebounder as you might think he'd be. Mm-hmm. He's okay. But, you know, that's a guy that I look at and I think, well, he he has the potential to be a double-double guy, and he hasn't been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kyle Young, uh, assuming he plays and he's not sick anymore, 6'8", senior, 8.5 points, 5 rebounds, 52, 33, and 80. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think the question with him and for MSU with Hogarth is if they do play, you know, to what level are they able to play, right? I, we don't, we, all we know is that they're non-COVID illnesses. So they're not out of the mix, you know, but um, is speaking of which, when's the last time you heard about anybody sitting out for COVID? <laughs> yeah, funny how quick it's that It's kind of fallen off the table, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, anyway, um, I, you know, they could use him because Young, when he's healthy, what he gives you is energy. And that's when I read Chris Holtman's comments after last night's game, boy, it sounded a lot like Tom Izzo mm-hmm. talking about no energy, no toughness, you know, all those things. Well, one thing Kyle Young does is provide you with a jolt of those things. He's just, he's always been a guy who plays very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming off the bench, Justin Arn, 6'5", senior, 5.4 points, uh, 
35 from the floor, 35 from three, 75 from the line. And basically just primarily a three-point shooter. Almost all of his shots except for four <laughs> come from three. Yeah. 117 attempts from the floor, 113 have been threes, which has been his pattern in his career. Uh, as I'm sure all our listeners know by now, mm-hmm. the younger brother of Kyle, who um, really, you know, you talk about, man, could could this Michigan State team use a Kyle Arns? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's what they're lacking are guys like that, you know? Maybe not the most skilled guy to ever come down the pike, but boy, you knew you were going to get every ounce of energy he had. His younger brother is not the same kind of player. And that's been his downfall. And that's part of why I think he's lost his starting spot. Basically, Justin Arns, he's not the athlete Kyle was. Kyle, even after he was hurt, still had the ability to get up. Yeah. He was a good athlete. Uh, Justin's game has always been just predicated on three-point shooting. And he's had years in his career where he was like a near 50% guy. That has not been this year. He struggled by his standards. I mean, 35% is not awful mm-hmm. by any means, but it's well down from where he's been. And because he doesn't give you a lot else, if he's not a 40% plus guy, I can see why Holtman would look at it and say, you know what? I, I've got other guys who maybe give me a little more in other areas that I'd rather give some minutes to. Mm-hmm. So you can see why his role has declined, because if he, if he's not sticking a shot at that level, it's it's hard to justify more than you know fifteen minutes or so, like a rotation role. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Michi Johnson, six two freshman, um, five point two points, thirty two from the floor, thirty three and seventy four from the line. Uh, lots of turnovers though, two more turnovers than assists. Yeah, I think he's got thirty nine assists and forty one turnovers, and he's a point guard at least nominally. Uh, last year, people may remember, he came in at the halfway point. He class reclassified yeah. and joined their team and, and was red hot from three. Uh, and I think that maybe set some unrealistic expectations. His three-point shooting is not horrible this year, but he's back down to earth. And the assist to turnover numbers suggest that there's a long way to go before he's ready to run a team at the point. That's why I say despite the fact that Jamari Wheeler is not having an overwhelming season, it really was critical because if they had not added him, they were probably looking at, you know, Michi Johnson, Jimmy Sotos tandem at the point. Sotos, I didn't even include in this preview because he's played so inconsistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in terms of the number of games he actually gets into. And Michi Johnson has really struggled. If they had to rely on those two guys, they would have had problems offensively. Yeah. No question. Uh, then Cedric Russell, 6'3", senior transfer from Louisville, or I'm sorry, Louisiana. Um, 4.8 points, 46 from the floor, 44 from three, uh, 67 from the line in about 13 minutes a game. Yeah, and I think there, you look at those numbers and you think, wow, that's really good. He was He was recruited as a transfer precisely because they thought he could provide them some help as a shooter. I think they looked at him as a guy who might be able to help offset the loss of Dwayne Washington, mm-hmm. who was such a threat for them. And he shot very well. You know, plus 40%. You're like, hey, he did what he was recruited to do. So why is he only playing 13 minutes a night? Well, I think it's because he's been bad enough in some of the other areas that, again, with Arns, they can't justify playing him a lot more mm-hmm. than that, despite the shooting. Yeah, and then Joey Brunk, 6'11", uh, super senior transfer from Indiana. Uh, boy, 1.4 point a game of one rebound in five minutes. Yeah, you know, he missed all of last season in Indiana with an injury. I can't remember the specifics of it, but what I do know is watching him, he's not the same guy. I go back to two years ago. If you remember when Indiana beat Michigan State, I think it was in Blo- it was in Bloomington. And a close game, but they just pounded Michigan State on the offensive boards. Mm-hmm. And Brunk was a huge part of that. He was really good that year at Indiana. I mean, he and Trace Jackson Davis, who was a freshman that season, were a really good one-two big man punch. And, you know, Brunk was never the most skilled guy in the world. He was never a guy who was you were just going to throw the ball into and on post-ups and let him go to work all night. He wasn't that kind of player. But he was a big body, 
he had a really high motor, played hard, and he was able to get some things done that way. And Ohio State, you know, especially in this situation, if Key is out and if Young is out or not at 100%, they could really use him. And I just don't know what he's got left to give. Mm-hmm. When I've seen him play, it has it has not been the same guy I remember. Uh, and so that should do it for the players, most likely. Um, uh, if you look at the keys, Rod, number one key, uh, both of these teams are coming off of, of rough stretches. MSU's lost um, four of the last five. Uh, OSU's lost three of the last five, including the last two home games. Um, so who, I, I mean, can anyone play this game? <laughs> I mean, right. Uh, yeah, and I think that's going to have, you know, can either of these teams find it within themselves to actually play a relatively clean, relatively well executed game where they show a lot of energy and effort mm-hmm. and they're, and they're both operating on one day turnarounds too. Yeah. That's the other thing I didn't mention. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's, you know, they're mirror images of each other right now going down the stretch and that, you know, Ohio state's a game better. They're 11 and seven Michigan state's 10 and eight in the league. Uh, they both are desperate for a win, but you could say that about the last two or three times they've gone out on the court and they've had, you know, I mean, Ohio state before the Maryland game was not completely out of the conference title race. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, it was a longer shot, but they were still in it. Theoretically, they were only a game back in the loss column. And losing at Maryland and then losing at home against Nebraska is completely, it's very similar to what happened to them last year. They were firmly in the race most of the way, but they ended up finishing 12 and eight mm-hmm. because they just, you know, they lost a lot of games down the stretch. Same thing's happening again. Michigan state, unfortunately it's the reverse of last year. You know, last year down the stretch, they found themselves, they found a formula to compete with. And this year it's been the opposite. So I think the question is which one of these teams, if either can find themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second key, the second key is threes. Uh, both these teams shoot well. Yeah. from Three. Yeah. And I think if either team has a big edge, which would mean, you know, say one of them shoots to par and the other just has an off day or one of them goes crazy, you know, and is like, plus 50% mm-hmm. instead of their normal high thirties. Um, that could be a difference maker for sure. That could be something that would separate. Yeah. Uh, and then transition. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, Michigan state had the one bucket early last night, with Gabe Brown, and then pretty much nothing else mm-hmm. in transition. Uh, contrast that with the Purdue game where they were extremely good in transition. I, I caution because the Purdue game really the only time in the last several weeks they've been good in transition, but it was a weird one in that they were able to get so many live ball turnovers that led to easy buckets. It wasn't MSU's normal formula. So I don't feel that was as much of an indicator as to where they are as it would normally be, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That said, Ohio state has been very sloppy in transition defense this year when I've watched them. There should be opportunities if Michigan State is able to um, to take advantage. And that might, in part, rely on what kind of A.J. Hellgard they have because A.J. is their best point guard option in that area. Mm-hmm. If it's Tyson Walker, well, he's got to be a lot better than he's been. Yep. And that's the fourth key, Walker. Yeah, I mean... It's just look, such oh, a big key for this team, I mean... It's huge. It's huge. Every game. Uh, Ohio State is a bad defensive team, as we've talked about. They're not a good pick-and-roll team defensively. Tyson Walker will have shot opportunities, point blank. He will have them. Can he take advantage? I don't know. Mm. Will he? I don't know. Will he even take shots? I don't know. I mean, the truthfully, that's probably even being kind to him to say, I don't know, because other than one game, 
you know, and, and just half of that game, actually. Yeah. The answer would mostly be, well, you can't count on them to take shots. You know, so I, I, I may be being too kind by saying it's questionable. Maybe there's enough, uh, you know, I, I couldn't argue with anybody who said, hey, you know what? The jury's in, at least for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fifth key, Branham and Liddell. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a tandem that right now, I would say, is playing as well as any two guys on the same roster offensively. I mean, I, I think about it, you know, they're individually, obviously, Johnny Davis, Coburn, you know, there's there's some guys around the league that are very good. Ivy, when he's got it going, mm-hmm. they're very, very good offensive players, but I can't think of a better one-two punch right now which is yeah. funny that they've been losing despite having that. Uh, but that, you know, if you're Michigan state, you know, these guys are going to score some, but I think you, part of the way you approach this is they can't go crazy. Mm-hmm. Cause if they both go crazy, you might have a big problem on your hands. It's a little different than some of these teams like a Wisconsin, where it's really built around one guy. You know, it's when you've got two guys that can carry you, that's a little more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, this game's 7 o'clock tomorrow on ESPN. Any final thoughts heading into this one? It would be nice to get a win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing that gives you hope is that Ohio State is in pretty much, as we've been saying, pretty much the same boat as MSU. Uh, you know, you got two teams that are struggling, so – at least you don't feel like you're running into a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're, both teams are equally searching for answers. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that and get the post game up tomorrow after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.